So, my name is Wamboi. For those who don't know me, Wamboi Gashago. I always like saying how long I've been in C3. Four years. <laughs> it just turned four years last month. I won't say our table. It will look like now we are being, we are favoring. But Lovington table. <laughs> like I say, the leader's table. Eh? <laughs> so, the pressure is on. You know, now I've been told, hey, it was amazing. Now the pressure is on. But I thank God for the Holy Spirit. Because it is only by him. It's him who gives the wisdom. And so as we start, we are going to recap Romans 1 to 6. And then we're going to 7. But it's going to be a brief recap. It's not going to be as detailed as last time. But we shall do it. We shall see how it goes. Uh, this thing is off, so I can take as long as I like. The screen is off. <laughs> yeah, so fix it. Um, sorry? You guys, no, let them feel how I feel. Let them stand. <laughs> Thank you so much, guys. Thank you so much. Give it up for the worship team. These guys are amazing. Like, yeah. They lead us into God's presence, and then the Holy Spirit messes us up. Eh? In fact, I should have listened to the Holy Spirit this morning. He told me not to wear makeup. <laughs> but because I was going to stand here, no, you know, now you have to go fix where you've been. Anyway, God knows. So, as we begin, I pray over us a prayer that Paul prayed for the church at Colossae. Because this book of Romans, everything attaining to it, pertaining to it, has, is based on faith. So I pray that your faith in Christ Jesus will be built up, that you will learn to lean on him, leaning your entire human personality on him with absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness. That this world will, word will build you up and build up your confident hope and expectation of what God has for you here on earth as well as reserved for you in heaven. But even more, I pray that as we go through this book, because it's a book about the gospel, that we will see God's love towards us. We will see his compassion towards us. We will see just how great the plan is that he has for us is. In Jesus' name. Amen. So quickly, a background on the book of Romans. So Romans is a letter lit writ ish. As you heard, my name is Wamboi. <laughs> Written by Paul to the church at Romans. So the church there had both Jews and Greeks. But the Jews had been kicked out of um, Rome for 10 years. And so what had happened is the church they had set up then had now basically been taken over by the Greeks and they were the ones who were leading the church. And then when the Jews now came back because they'd been kicked out by um, Claudius. When they came back, they came and found people up too free. They started introducing rules. Eh? You have to be circumcised. You have to do things this way. And that's where Paul comes from writing this letter. But also in writing this letter, Paul wants to just bring out the power of the gospel. And in Romans 1.16, the Amplified Version, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation from his wrath and punishment, to everyone who believes in Christ as Savior, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel is for everybody, yeah, for both Jew and Greek. And the gospel is portrayed in different ways to both groups, through the law to the Jews because they understood the law, and through other ways to those who 
are not of the law through nature, through the mountains, just like Tim was saying. So there's no excuse. Either you understand it by the law or you understand it by seeing God's creation and allowing that to bring you closer to God and seeking him out. So that was chapter one. Also both springing from faith as well as leading to faith. So now we get um, the gospel which springs from faith but also leads us to have faith. And then we want on to say that as believers, we need to be watchful because we saw the ways in which these people were not obeying what they had been asked to do. So they were not glorifying God. They were not being thankful for the things in their lives. And they even had set up idols um, that took the place of God in our lives, in their lives. And we checked how to check ourselves for idols by checking how we spend our time, checking how we spend our money, our energy, who do we run to when we are stressed or what do we run to when we are stressed. Things like that will help us check if we have idols in our lives. Then in chapter 2, he addresses the Jews who are saying rituals, they have set a premium on rituals, you know, especially circumcision. And this was just to make them feel good on the outside. It was not beneficial in any way now that they were the new church. Yeah? And in no way, because now they were stressing on works and performance, it no way showed God's love towards people. They didn't, it did not portray God as who he really is. And um, Galatians 5.3 says that once more I solemnly affirm to every man who receives circumcision as opposed, as a supposed requirement of salvation, that he is under obligation and required to keep the whole law. So if you have to keep the law, you can't pick and choose. You have to keep all of it. And that is what was being stressed there. So this is just a quick recap. And then in chapter 3, we learned about justification. So... First of all, we learned that righteousness came in chapter 2. And when righteousness came, what that meant is that we accepted before God, you know, because of what Christ Jesus did on the cross when he died. And um, Sam told us that justification is when we are before God, it's just as if we never sinned. Like we are the ones who keep remembering our sin, God removes it all. So by accepting God's sacrifice for sin, we become just as I never sinned. And this is only by faith. Verse 27 of Romans 3 says, Can we boast then that we have done anything to be accepted by God? No, because our acquittal is not based on obeying the law. It is based on faith. So we are made right with God through faith and not by obeying the law. And we say that faith is being convinced, fully persuaded of the credence of a religious truth or the truthfulness of God or the nature of God himself. So when we choose not to have faith about certain things, we're either doubting God, is his word true? Or is this truth really um, the word of God? And the reason we ask come in faith, because faith is the one attitude of the heart that is the exact opposite of depending on ourselves. It's hands off. Like we, now we have no, we are not putting anything into this, yeah? So righteousness is by faith in the finished work of Christ, graciously provided to us by God. We also looked at the legal um, aspect of the word justification because it's a legal word. And justification is basically when God stamps the gavel and said, you're no longer um, liable for the sin. It renders you innocent. So we found that in chapter 3, the death of Christ not only gave us righteousness, 
but it freed us from the penalty of sin. So when Christ died on the cross, God stamped the gavel and said, uh, Val, those things, they're not yours anymore. You handed them over to God. And in chapter 4, we went through some examples of righteousness through faith, without works, with Abraham and David. It's better if you go and read those yourself. They are really simple, just stories about Abraham and David and what, um, how they showed their faith and trust in God. Then in chapter 5, we learned about how sin is imputed. So the word imputed simply means it is transferred. So when Adam sinned in the garden, he sinned and sin became part of nature of the human being. So it's a nature. There's nothing you can do about it. It's part of our human nature. So now when we as descendants of Adam, all have this sin transferred throughout all our generations. Now, when Christ died on the cross, what happened is that our sin was imputed on him. And he paid the price, thereby taking the penalty of sin. But that was not it. Also, what happened is that his righteousness was transferred to us. So we stand completely righteous before God, accepted fully the way Jesus is accepted. So we no longer owe the penalty of sin. Romans 5.20 says, God's law was given so that all people could see how sinful they are. But as people sinned more and more, God's wonderful grace became more abundant. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful grace rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we are made righteous because simply of what Jesus did. Now, when we came to chapter 6, we were learning about something else called sanctification. Now, um, verse 1 says that so what do we do then? Because now we've been justified. We are free, right? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all. As a dead man passes away from this life, so how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? And another version asks, instead of saying what a terrible thought, is asked, are you crazy? <laughs> you know, like, hey, your mom can ask you, are you crazy? <laughs> like, that's such a ridiculous thought. Like, how can you even bring that up? That's how it's being asked. Like, seriously? How can you even think like that? And you see, the process of justification is made, meant to make us fall more in love with God. Not want to sin more and... Now we are free, you know. And we went through the first few verses where we saw how baptism um, represents how we died with Christ. Because we have to understand that we died with Christ for us to understand that we are risen with him and that we have everything that is his is given to us and everything that is ours was taken by him. So we talked about baptism. I attempted to draw. I will not attempt today. But basically, when we come to, to baptism, we are coming with our sin nature. So that's all we bring to the table. We come with our sin nature. Then when we enter the water, we are immersed completely. And when we are immersed completely, everything that is ours, we are now in the grave with Jesus. That's what it symbolizes. It symbolizes we've died with Christ. And everything that is Christ is given to us and all our sin is given to him. And when we come out, we carry the full nature of Christ. Not only are we saved free from sin, no. We carry the full nature of Christ. And understanding this is so important to you as a Christian. 
Because if you don't understand this, you keep coming back to yourself. Oh, I did. Oh, I did not do. It is done. He said it is finished. And faith in Christ and what he did on the cross and understanding that aspect is what makes you, I said, is what makes you come out redeemed and not just wet. Because if you just go and come out, you just come out, you know, you just wait. Now, but with that understanding, you know what happened when you were baptized. Like it is an amazing transfer. So now having understood this, we said that now we work towards sanctification. Sanctification is when, so justification is being set free from the penalty of sin, right? Sanctification is being set free from the power of sin. Because, mm, <laughs> because our nature is sin, right? And so it is in us. So I am a spirit. Yeah, I am a spirit. That's the real me. I am a spirit. That's why when we die, our spirit, it's us who go to God. I am a spirit. I have a soul. Okay? So the soul is my mind, my will, and emotions. Hey, you guys are good students. Hey. And my emotions. And then my body, we know the body. But the problem with us, we get it wrong way around. We say, I am one boy now, what you see. And then the rest are additions. No, first and foremost, I am a spirit. So this power of sin... When, before you come to Christ, this part is dead because the spirit does not live there. So the spirit is dead. So everything operates from body, soul, and everything coming from outside. So everything coming from inside, outside affects my body. It goes, has a conversation with my mind. My mind tells me this. And then it comes back to my body. And then it goes to my will. And then it affects how I speak to people. And then it affects how I understand what people say. All because that is the flesh. So when the power of sin um, is lost, that is broken. The outside no longer has power over what is happening inside. Okay? So, verse 6 says of Romans 6 that since our old sinful selves were crucified with Christ, sin loses its power or dominion in our lives and we are no longer slaves to sin. We are free from sin from the power of sin, and this is called sanctification. And sanctification is a process that we go on throughout our lives. Because sin is not lost, it's still around us, it's still everywhere. But how do we respond to it? And this is where we read from verse 12. Do not let sin control the way you live. Do not give in to sinful desires. And New King James says, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lusts. Do not let any part of your body become an instrument of evil to serve sin. Instead, give yourselves completely to God, for you are dead, but you have new life. See, sorry, verse 14. Sin is no longer your master, for you no longer live under the requirements of the law. Instead, you live under the freedom of grace. So it says there in verse... Um, that we have to choose which way. Because what we allow into our lives is what masters us. Yeah? You must give yourselves to be slaves to a righteous living so that you will become holy. It's a choice. It's a choice you have to make every day. And we say it, we only tend to complicate choices when they affect 
spiritual or religious things. But if you decide, there are people who decide they're going to the gym every day, their day cannot end. In fact, their day cannot start until they have done that. But when it comes to other choices of what we have to let go, we decide this one is difficult, God will give us grace. He'll no, it is a choice. Even Adam made a choice. That's why we're in the situation we are in today. We have to make choices. And we said we have to make choices. You know, it says before we were slaves to sin. We did those things which we're even embarrassed to say now. Yet now, we, so we looked at those things which are still reigning in our hearts. I gave you my example of Rodridge. When I enter, I'm very careful because I know myself. I know, you know, God is giving me grace. So it's a choice how I respond. It's my choice to choose peace, to choose love, to choose joy. Or I can go shout, be frustrated, start my day wrong. And we looked at the power of lust. It's a choice to open a laptop, www.xxx, into a pornographic site. It takes time and effort. Like, it's, these things are choices. And we have to make sure that we are choosing right. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ Jesus have been crucified. The sinful nature, have crucified the sinful nature together with its passions and appetites. So passions, appetites, lust, they're all here. They're all here. Okay. Sour, sour. I have been crucified with Christ. So it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so I just want to emphasize that when we are hearing these things, let's not think legalistically. Others, we are going back to the law. But let us just think in terms of how much God loves us, that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, take the penalty of sin, take the power of sin. Okay? And we said, let's not seem like we are powerless. We have a superpower. Justification is a superpower. Sanctification is a superpower. Once you understand what that means, then you don't walk around with your head bowed. No, you know who lives in you, and so you go in that power. Okay. Sour. So that's, that's the... Right. We still have time. That was the recap. <laughs> so we're now going to Romans chapter 7. And like last time, I intend for us to go line by line, precept by precept. So if you have your Bibles, we go to Romans chapter 7, verse 1 to 3. And I will read. I write to you, dear brothers and sisters who are familiar with the law. Don't you know that when a person dies, it ends his obligation to the law? For example, a married couple is bound by the law to remain together until separated by death. But when one spouse dies, the other is released from the law of the marriage. So then, if a wife is joined to another man while still married, she commits adultery. But if her husband dies, she's obviously free from the marriage contract and may marry another man without being charged with adultery. So here Paul is again talking. So he's talked to the Greeks and all their passions and all their whatevers. But the Jews are probably saying, well, us guys have the law. We are good. And he's talking to these people who now hold on to the law, or in our case, rituals and religion, to, to feel in the right place with God. So these are dear brothers and sisters. So they are not, sin they are not people who are out in the world. It's actually part of the church. And here Paul is trying to understand now how Justification works for those, sanctification works for those who um, hold on to the law. And here, what I want us to look at is how, 
again, Paul uses an example. So last time he used baptism, this time he's using marriage as an example. He says when one spouse dies, the other is released from the law of marriage. And he's basically saying, now, when someone is alive, they are held by the power of the law. When they are dead, they are not. So it's a simple choice to live or to die. Last time we said, choose to die. So once again, we come and we choose to die. Because the law is not going anywhere. The law is eternal. So if that marriage has to end, who has to die? You. Because it will always be around us. Religion is all around us. Requirements are all around us. But how do we fully understand grace? When now we choose to die and become alive in Christ. Both cannot be mixed. You're either dead or alive. It's the only way to be free from the law, to be dead. Romans 3 and Romans 6, we looked at how we die. We died with Christ. And we have to accept this as the only way. The only way. So once again, we are choosing to die. The first time, we lost the penalty of sin. Second time, we were choosing to die to the power of sin. Now we are choosing to die to the power of the law. It says in verse 4, So my dear brothers and sisters, the same principle applies to your relationship with God. For you died to your first husband, the law, by being co-crucified with the body of the Messiah. And the NLT version says you died to the power of the law when you died with Christ. So you are now free to marry another. The one who was raised from the dead so that you may now bear spiritual fruit for God. So understanding that we are dead to the power of the law is very important. We are released from the law, no longer captive to it. So there is nothing we have to do to be in right standing with God. Nothing. We just have to accept Christ's sacrifice. And that's how we die to the power of sin and to the power of the law. Accept it by faith. By faith. You have to believe that the guy who said it and believed in it so much that he gave his son meant it. And that it is yours and receive it. So that when we died with Christ, then we died to the power of the law. So now we are now free to marry into a relationship with Christ. Yeah? So this also means, like, I don't know, okay, it's called adultery, I guess. But if somebody gets married and then the bride keeps going now to look for exes, to look for other guys, it's adultery. We have to decide completely who we are with and take our freedom in that relationship. There's a freedom that comes to being tied to one person. Now you're free. And so let's take our freedom as believers. How do we check if we've gone back to the law? We keep going back to those things that we think make us better in the sight of God. So if I think before I go to sleep, I have to kneel by my bed and pray, you're going back to the law. If you think you have to come to church, sing a certain way, stand a certain way, take communion a certain way, we are free. We are free and that's how we check if you're going back to the law because it's a very human nature. It's in our nature to want things that will make us feel better. But all those things are out here. They just make us feel in our soul. Now we are happy. Our emotions are tickled. No. And um, not only are we not supposed to put these things on ourselves, but even on others. You know, let people walk in their freedom in Christ. I'm not saying we cannot be corrected, but there are some things, surely, you know, that we keep insisting people do which are not right. So let us walk in the freedom we have been given. It says that we are united with Christ so that we can produce a harvest of good deeds for God 
by the Spirit. So it's a spirit who will come and talk to you, talk to me and tell us how we are supposed to live. Now Romans 10 4 says, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. So he came to finish the law, the requirements of the law. The power of law no longer is in us as long as we believe that. Higher, verse 5. When we were merely living natural lives, the law through defining sin actually awakened sinful desires within us, which resulted in bearing the fruit of death. But now that we've been fully released from the power of the law, we are dead to what once controlled us, and our lives are no longer motivated by the obsolete way of following the written code, so that now we may serve God by living in the freshness of a new life in the power of the Holy Spirit. The NLT says, but now we've been released from the law, for we died to it and are no longer captive to its power. Now, when we are living in sin, Amplified Version says, the sinful passions, when we are trapped in sin, the sinful passions which are awakened, that which the law identified as sin, were at work in our body to bear fruit for death. So what is the power of the law? The power of the law makes us constantly conscious of sin, right? The fact that we have to obey very specific rules and guidelines, you know? And the fact that we have to obey it in whole, not in part. So long as one is under the power of the law, they will still be under the power of the sin. So both are related. It goes that when you choose law, so you constantly know if I do this, it is wrong. And Derek Prince wrote and said that the law actually strengthens the dominion of sin over those who are under the law. The harder they strive to keep the law, the more conscious they become of the power of sin within themselves, exercising dominion over them, even against their own will, and frustrating every attempt to live by the law. The only escape from the dominion of sin is to come out from under the law and come under grace. So we have to accept grace. So Colossians 2, 13 to 14 says, When you were dead in your sin and in the circumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with Christ. So you don't just die and then remain dead. You become alive in Christ. Having been freely forgiven all our sins, having canceled out the certificate of debt, that's justification, consisting of legal demands against us and which were hostile to us. And how is this done? This certificate he has set aside and completely removed by nailing it to the cross. So it is finished. It is finished and I will not keep tiring, I'll not have saying that. Because that's what we need to understand. Right, we move to verse 7. So what, are we, so what shall we say about all this? Am I suggesting that the law is sinful? Of course not. In fact, it was the law that gave us a clear definition of sin. For example, when the law said do not covet, covet it became the catalyst to see how wrong it was for me to crave what belongs to someone else. It was through God's commandment that sin was awakened in me and built its base of operation within me to stir up every kind of wrong desire. For in the absence of the law, sin hides dormant. But sin used, yeah. So the law is not sinful. The law was given by God. In fact, the law is eternal. The law is forever. It just more clearly defines sin. So do not covet. When you don't know the law, you just walk around thinking, hey, that guy is nice. I wish I had one. You don't think much of it. Now, when you follow the law, it says don't covet. So now you look at that nice guy and say, hey, I wish it was mine. You've sinned. <laughs> and then it becomes, it becomes such a burden. Now you're thinking, okay, I can't covet anything else. 
Then he says, <coughs> do not um, steal from somebody, you know. Then you think, I've sinned. And it adds up, it keeps piling up. And what happens is that sin now regains its power. Are you seeing how the power of the sin and the power of the law are related? And it says it builds its base of operation in us, stirring every kind of wrong desire. It awakens sin in me. So the sin was there because we have sin nature, dormant. But if we choose to follow the law, it's stirred up. Now I did, oh, now I didn't do. All of this is happening in us. So it's like when you have a nagging ache in the body, like, hey, my back is hurting. And this unfortunately happened to a friend of mine. Your back is hurting, you think it's nothing. And to make matters worse, you've been going, you've just started going to the gym, like some of us. <laughs> so you think that backache is those tumors you've been lifting, right? <clears throat> so whatever the problem is, you don't know what it is. You can see the symptom, you have a backache. Then you go to the doctor, and the doctor does a scan, and lo and behold, it's cancer. Now suddenly, it's been, re it's been released. Now it's been given a name. You've been given a prognosis. You've been told what you have to do about it. That's what the law does. The law tells you now that you did this. In fact, you have to give seven times back. You have to do this. It becomes a burden on you. But when Jesus say heals that cancer, it's healed. Then it's removed. Accept it is removed and move on. Then you wouldn't have to go through the chemotherapy, through all this. You know, that's how it is. It is a cancer. And you see, we need to see it as that so we realize the magnitude of sin and what it does. We become awake to the reality of the issue. So, verse 9. I once lived without a clear understanding of the law. But when I heard God's commands, commandments, sin sprang to life and brought with it a death sentence. The commandment that was intended to bring life brought me death instead. Sin, by means of the commandment, built a base of operation within me to overpower me and put me to death. Verse 12. So then, we have to conclude that the problem is not with the law itself, for the law is holy, and its commandments are correct and for our good. So did something meant to be good, from, to be good become death to me? Certainly not. It was not the law, but sin unmasked that produced my spiritual death. The sacred commandment merely uncovered the evil of sin so it could be sin for what it is. Right? So the power of sin is brought to life by the power of the law. The law commands, the commands bring spiritual death. So spiritual death happens here. This is spiritual death. That's what separates us from God. That's what spiritual death is. Separation from God. So a child is born with sinful nature. Um... Sinful nature, and so has power of sin, power of law in their lives. I saw it this week. Eh? I had two four-year-olds for a sleepover. My house has not yet recovered. <laughs> so these two four-year-olds, they know what is wrong, what is right. Now when you tell them that is wrong, don't do that. Now they are not going to stop doing it. They'll just do it when you're not looking. Yeah? And that's the power of sin. Like, they'll do it. And then you'll hear, like, they're in the bedroom. Then now you can hear the volume is approaching you. So they are coming. And the other one is saying, sorry, sorry, sorry. Don't go say sorry, sorry. That's how we are. <laughs> Instead of acknowledging what it, the problem actually is, we even deny it or we mask it. You know, it's covered up. So <laughs> is it that we don't want to be found out or we've really decided to cast away sin? 
So, sin has power because of the law. So, if I create a law and I say, don't think of a blue elephant. Right? And then I give even more information. Don't think that the elephant has a yellow trunk. You're thinking of a pig. You're a rebel. <laughs> ah, actually, even pink feet. <laughs> like you're just going drawing it according to how the law is telling you don't do. You know. So there's nothing wrong with the command. It's the sin nature in us that just wants to rebel. So when you're told don't convert, there's nothing wrong with that. You're not meant to. But how do I understand it? So sin basically manipulates how we understand things, yeah? And because this sin is in us, that's the power of the sin. Verse 14 says, so the trouble is not with the law, for it is spiritual and good. The trouble is with me, for I am all too human, a slave to sin. I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good. So I'm not the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. The Passion Translation says, and now I realize that it is no longer my true self doing it, but the unwelcome intruder of sin in my humanity. So this is spirit versus flesh. So it is not, I'm, it's not me who's doing it. What does that mean? My renewed man. I'm a new creation here in the spirit. It's not that part that's doing it. The sin nature that lives here is what is coming in and giving the power. But who is giving it the power? It's me by deciding I'm going to follow the law. It just doesn't rule and reign because the power of sin has been killed in our lives. But if we decide we are going to follow rules, regulations to be right with God, then we give it power. So, the, when it talks about flesh, like we said last week, it means the body and all its desires. So the flesh, that's where it is. So let us enter rest. It's not you doing it. You can always use that as your disclaimer and say, I told you, you can use it. You can say it was, it's not me doing it. Because you have sacrificed yourself as a new creature to God. Verse 18 says, and I know that nothing good lives in me. That is my sinful nature. I want to do what is right, but I can't. I want to do what is good, but I don't. I don't want to do what is wrong, but I do it anyway. Can you feel Paul's frustration? This is, you know, Paul is speaking on behalf of all of us plus all the Jews. Like when you try in your own power, you can't. But if I do what I don't want to do, I am not really the one doing wrong. It is sin living in me that does it. I have discovered this principle of life. That when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. It's crazy. Ian it's, it's describing me. I don't know about you. You know... I love God's law with all my heart. He loves God's law with all his heart. Heart is the spirit part. That part is so renewed. Like he loves God with all, God's law with all his heart. But there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. This power makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? So he doesn't want to do stuff, he does it. He wants to do stuff, he doesn't do it. But he says there's a force working within him. Now here Paul is not necessarily saying this is his reality. He's saying the reality of people, of him, when, you know, when he allows the power of the law to come. Because he lived under the law previously. 
So it is not me doing wrong. It is a sin nature living in me that does it. This is a process of trying to get sanctification through the law. What has been described here. So that back and forth I want to do, I can't do. If we decide to live by the law, that's how we've chosen to get in right standing with God. But there is a solution. Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's verse 25. And if we choose any other way, it brings a miserable life. We're always groaning. We're always unsure of ourselves. We're unsure of our place with God. You know, like today morning when Pastor Kevin was telling us, like, don't think things you've done can, you know, hold you from God's presence. Like, we carry these things so much instead of laying them down. Yeah? And it's very frustrating. Then Paul even tries in his mind. He says, there is another power within me that is at war with my mind. So now he's trying to reason these things out. And it gets even more frustrating because now these things are coming from outside and even your mind, your will, your emotions, they're they like, what is this? I've tried so hard. So let's remember that where is righteousness re received? It's received in the spirit. When we give our lives to Christ, that is where it is received. Now, like I explained last week, when we receive Christ, then our spirit is made alive. And our choice is to let the spirit rule and reign. When the spirit rules, what happens is that what he tells us in here affects the soul. So the word that we read affects our mind. It, now those are the things we are meditating on. It affects our emotions, how we are responding to things. It affects our will. And it's a back and forth between here and the body because we are still here on this earth. So the things that come from the outside and affect our body, affect our flesh, its desires, then come here and depending on which we feed more, that's what has the power. That's what masters us. But thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ. Because once we receive Jesus Christ, that's it. That's it. In our spirit, the real me can stop all this frustration about what is going on in the flesh, in the body, because I have decided who my master is. When I decide who my master is, other things will still come and attempt at me. But who is more superior? Who is the master? So we cannot forget that once we take up the sacrifice of Christ, that is it. This conquers the penalty of sin, the power of sin, and the power of the law. And so, Romans 8, 1 says, there is no, now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. Because despite this um, whole back and forth explaining and basically relating to us, our very selves, we need to stand and say there is now no condemnation. And make it real in our lives so that when these things come to us, we can actually say there is no condemnation for me. I am in Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. And he says in 
another version that we are free to live not according to our flesh, but by the dynamic power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we'll be looking at in chapter 8. How do we then live by the Spirit? But the reason this thing has been repeated and repeated and repeated is because if we have not understood justification, if we've not understood sanctification and the power that is broken over our lives, we can never allow the Spirit to freely rule and reign in our lives. We'll be trying to do things of our own power, trying to do things according to the law, according to rules, according to regulations, instead of taking the freedom that belongs to us. Justification says that the case is closed. Where are you reopening it? You know, it's gone to the highest court ever. And it's done. It's done, it's sealed, it's sorted. And then this chapter 6, 7 has said, it's not you giving you more freedom. It's not you. The real person in you wants to love God and do what is right because you've chosen to follow Christ. But the solution is found in Jesus Christ and by living by the power of the Spirit. So let's remember, when we are not born again, which part is dead? Our spirit, right? And then our spirit comes alive. And through that, the power of sin, the power of the flesh, the law which is coming in from the outside, then is dead. It's dead, has no dominion, has no power over us, and we can live um, a free life. And unfortunately, we allow the impulses from outside to take control. We shouldn't. But we can't do this if it's by our own strength. We have to be constantly in the word constantly hearing what the Spirit is saying concerning us from the Word and just spending time with God. Let Him reveal to you your true self. Because I can assure you we've not fully discovered our true self. Our true self is an amazing, powerful being. Can you imagine you carry everything that Christ carried? Everything. And He said even greater things than this you will do. That's who you are. So let us learn who that is and through what is being allowed into our spirits, let us learn to silence our minds, to silence our emotions. We don't have to react to our emotions all the time. Silence our will. But like we said, it is a day-by-day process. And next week when we go to chapter 8, we shall see how this happens by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we shall learn about the part, how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Amen? Amen. So if you're born again, you have the Spirit of God in you, please Take up your freedom. Go into this week without burdens. Without, you know, there's so many things coming at us. Now, when we put burdens on ourselves, surely, it's even worse. You know, let's be free. God has given us a reason to be out there, living in power for him and being powerful. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. Thank you because you have loved us. You have called us. You've set us apart. And you're showing us how to live this life the way you would have us live. Thank you because you've revealed the power of the gospel, the power that makes us bold. It makes us speak out for you. It makes us want to live right for you. Thank you for the gift of righteousness, Lord, that we stand before you as if we had never sinned for justification, for sanctification, that every day we can live developing ourselves, not in our own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I pray, Lord, that as we go into this week, You will constantly let this word, this deep word ring in our minds. Give us an understanding. Let it not remain as knowledge. Let it give us an understanding that will empower us to live the life that you've called us to live for you. That we will not be powerless, but we will realize the power that is in us. Christ, the hope of all glory, lives in us. 
He lives in us and we have died with him and risen with him in all power. Thank you, Lord. And even as we come um, towards the end of this, let us remember this is for the dear brothers and sisters. So if you've not given your life to Christ, the power of sin still rules and reigns. That's why you cannot, it says we used to do the things we used to do that we are now ashamed of. Like you just keep going deeper and deeper depending on who your master is. The power of the law still stands for you. But you have a chance to kill it, to say no. By accepting the fact that Jesus Christ died for you on the cross. He died and when he shed his blood, it wiped off all sin. And there's no penalty of sin for you. It kills the power of sin over you. It does not dominate over you. Despite the fact that it's all around you. And so today, I don't know if there's anybody here who would like to give their life to Jesus. I do not want um, to cut you out. But if you would, I ask that you raise your hand. We'll not embarrass you. We'll just note you and maybe some, you can come speak to somebody after that. Is there anybody like that? So let's stand up. So, Father, we give ourselves to you. Help us understand the price you paid. Help us to release every bondage of law of our lives and to accept the free promise, the freedom that you have given us by the death of your son, Jesus Christ. Let your name be glorified as we step into this week, knowing that the power that lives in us is greater than he that is in the world and that we are powerful, we have the superpower because we are in you in Christ Jesus. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.